This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. Good morning, everybody. My name is Chris. If we haven't had a chance to meet, and I am one of the pastors on staff, and and so I got get a chance to opportunity to speak today, and it is one of those messages that I pray gives you new language, gives you new tools uh, to help navigate relationships. How many know somebody who has a relationship with somebody else? <laughs> Wouldn't it be fair to say that relationships are very important? But how many would also say that there is huge divides in our relationship? Would anybody say that, agree with that? There's brokenness. We're broken. People have hurt us. And so today we're talking about mending the gap. There are gaps in our relationships. There's hurt. You may be watching today and this is... A struggle for you because you've been hurt in the past. Somebody betrayed you. And so today we're talking about relationships and how we can mend those broken pieces and give you tools and give you things to help kind of get you on the right path. You in it? You with me? All right, let's do it. Um, So how many have children in the room? Okay. Sometimes um, when... As parents, when we're speaking to our kids, we feel like they have never heard us before. Like they are somebody else's kid and they have lost their minds. There's a disconnect. They start talking back. Am I the only one? Well, okay. All right. All right. You see, there's a gap between you and your kids. What about your spouse when you think she should care or understand your feelings towards something or maybe it's your, your wife um, who uh, just like, why doesn't he understand where I'm coming from? He's supposed to care for me. Whatever the situation is, maybe it's a friend who you've stopped talking to because of a disagreement, there's division. It's happening all around us and obviously we're in a the atmosphere is palatable right now with the politics and the racial divide. There's tension. And so instead of making this gap wider, we're going to talk about bringing this gap closer and mending that gap. But to do that, we have to look to somebody who is a source, a good source on relationship, and that is Jesus. And so Jesus had a dream for the church. And he said, if we do this one thing right, if we get this thing right, the whole world will know who he is. And in doing so, they will see him as savior and they'll know that he can rescue them from their their sin. And so this dream that Jesus had was the one thing that we're talking about today is unity. All right? So let's look at Jesus's words for us right here from John 17. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message, which is all of us. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, and you are in me. 
Now, can we all read this next slide together? May they experience such perfect unity, come on, that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know. It is possible. It is possible to be in one mind, to be in one accord, to be united. And when unity happens, when the world sees us as one, they will come to know him. When we as individuals are so united, the world will see one church, one mind. This means there can't be gaps And every gap that has been created needs closed and our relationships mended. So to better illustrate this, we created this video. So go ahead and take a look to the sides. You know, a few months ago, Christy and I um, decided to empty out one of the bedrooms and to convert it into an office for her. And so we began, uh, you know, searching for furniture and uh, different types of desks online. Uh, we're just searching and searching. After a couple of weeks of searching, we finally just, I kind of threw my hands. I said, you know what? I'll just make you a desk. She was looking for something very specific. She wanted it to be white. She wanted it to be minimalist. And so I decided that I was going to make her a very simple white desk. And that's what I have right here. This desk I made for Christy. It's, uh, it has a white tabletop and it's got black legs. Um, I put a, a power grommet here so uh, she can have power available to her as well. Um, now, when you look at this desk, what, it looks like one solid piece, right? It looks like uh, like I bought a piece of wood that is solid and you just kind of put it on top of it. But the reality is, is that this is actually five distinct two by sixes that I had put together. Now, for this to happen, for this to actually look like and feel like and actually have the strength of one solid unit, uh, there are two ingredients that are needed. I need to um, put the right material between each one of these pieces, and in this case, it's a lot, a lot, a lot of glue. And then I have to pull clamps out and apply pressure to it and push them together and allow it to cure overnight. So that's what I did with this desk. Um, I put a lot of glue between these five different pieces and then I put six clamps on there and it cured overnight. The next day I sanded it down really well and, and then I went ahead and had it painted white. We live in a world that is incredibly divided. I mean, in a few days, uh, we're gonna have elections, election day and some of you are gonna go vote and vote for your candidate. There are going to be some of you sitting here listening to me right now that you're going to vote Democrat. Others of you are going to vote Republican. And there's so much division over that. There's division within the homes, with homes of people. There's division at work. There's division in, 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 in families over politics. Then we have the pandemic, which has added another level of confusion and division in our country. And then we also have, obviously, the racial injustice that we've been experiencing in our country. All of this has polarized so many people, even within the church. And so as I think about that, I think about this table. This is really the dream that Jesus has for the church. The dream that Jesus has for the church is that we would be one, that we would be united. John 17, he prays for the church. He realized that there's not a whole lot of places in the scripture where Jesus prays for the church, but he prays for the church. And his prayer for you and I is that we would be one, that we would be united, 
much like this tabletop. And so if I could illustrate it, I imagine this tabletop as these five different pieces of, of lumber that I have here. This one here is a, my democratic piece of lumber, and this is my Republican piece of lumber, and this is my African-American piece of lumber, and this is my uh, Latino piece of lumber, and this is my white American piece of lumber. But if you step back and look at it, it looks like one solid piece, one unified piece. For that to happen, you have to have the right material between each piece, and you have to have pressure. We live in a world, and John 16, 33 tells us that in this world you will have trouble. We are having pressure. I don't have to tell you that you are you experiencing pressure. You know that you're experiencing pressure. The question is, what are you going to allow between you and your spouse, between you and your coworker, between you and your parent or your daughter or your son? What material will be in between each one? I suggest that we trust one another. That's the glue that brings us together. So from the very get-go, I want to give you the formula at the very end. This is what we're leading to, and that is pressure plus trust equals unity. We already have the pressure. We need to put in the trust. And what we're going to work on out today is how do we get to trust? How do we get there so that we can be one unified body? I know Rich mentioned uh, in, in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. We feel it. We know it. And like many of you, <laughs> I felt pressure. Just a couple of weeks ago, I found myself in a place where... The pressure got to me. I was under the gun, getting something, had to get something done. It was taking longer than it needed to be. I was frustrated because the way that uh, I was getting there wasn't as easy as I had hoped. My daughter came in and said, hey, Dad, you said I could, uh, we could play or we could do uh, whatever it was that she was asking. I said, yeah, yeah, just a minute. I need to finish this, and then, and then I'll come in. Well, I forgot. Time had passed, and I was got more frustrated because of what I was doing wasn't getting to the place that I thought it should be. My daughter comes back in, Daddy, you forgot, you said, and then I lashed out. I got upset, I yelled to a point, and I don't typically raise my voice and get upset, and so when that happens, it was immediate tears, she was crying. My wife was close by, she grabbed her and took her away and consoled her and stuff like that, and in that moment, I knew it right when it happened. I knew what I had done. That pressure has gotten to me. And so after I'd cooled down, I walked in there and I just sat on her bed and she was still, you could see, you know, her eyes were still puffy from crying. And I said, Issa, this is not your fault. Daddy made a mistake. Do you forgive me? Will you forgive me? I'm sorry. And uh, we had that moment together, and I said, this is not what I should have done. I'll make it up to you. Let's have extra time of playing or whatever it was. But the pressure got in between my relationship with my daughter. And I know some of you as parents and friends and husbands and wives and are feeling that pressure. And the decision that you make in that moment is going to either pull you apart or it's going to draw you closer together. You're going to be bonded together in that moment if you choose trust. 
So the key to all of this is what you put in this. Now, obviously, we talked about trust, but the key is what you put in there. And a lot of, a lot of times, we don't put trust in there, and we're going to talk about that here in just a minute. The gap exists because we don't know what each other is thinking. Wayne, I have no idea what you're thinking. I have no idea. How many husbands would love to know what their wives are thinking? <laughs> there were some questions. There wasn't even full like, ah, I don't even know. And I know, I guarantee you, wives, you're like, I have, I have, no, I have no interest in wanting to know what my husband's thinking at all. But if we knew what each other was thinking or our intentions or our motivations, then we would know. This gap exists because we don't know each other's motivations, our feelings, our thoughts. So what do we do? What do we do with this? The gap falls between what we expect and what we experience. And so when I don't know what you're thinking... And when I don't know your intentions, what do we do? We assume. We make the assumption and we put your intentions, we make up what your intentions would be. We say, well, this is what I think they would do or here's what I think they're thinking. We all do this. And there are only two options to fill this gap. We already talked about one. Okay. Ooh, it's secret. I can't show you the other one yet, just quite yet, because this suspense. We already talked about this one. Trust. Trust is the glue that puts us together. And trust says, when I don't know your intentions, I will believe the best. That's what trust is. But there's another one. You ready? I think I'd like slap my ear with that. <laughs> suspicion. Suspicion is the other thing that can fill the gap. And suspicion says, when I don't know your intentions, when I don't know, I'm going to assume the worst. And most of the time, that's what happens. So, let me put these back here. So taking this thought further, because we know that there's gaps in between you and me, if we pull this back and we think, okay, what about the bigger systematic issues that we we're talking about? What about the racial gap? What about the political gap? What does that look like? It works the same way. Do you choose to trust in the system or do you choose to uh, trust in those organizing or leading or will you assume the worst? Do you put suspicion in the gap? So I don't know. Uh, how many have uh, young babies in the house right now? Newborns? You know? Yeah, yeah. So it's been a long time for me. It's actually been about eight years since I had uh, a newborn in the house. And this is Issa. Say hi, Issa. Oh, this is not a video. That's right. It's a picture. So Issa was like most of your kids, you know, she, you know, it was the easiest baby. I mean, she rarely cried. I mean, rarely cried when she only had to, we only had to change a couple diapers a day. I mean, she completely trusted us. And so when, when, you know, when we ate, she ate, you know, when we slept, she slept. Yeah. That's like most of your kids, right? No, 
I just lied to you. That's not what, how it ended up being. Issa's like most of our real kids, which cried about everything. She didn't trust that we were going to get her up when she was up out of bed. She didn't trust that we were in the house. She didn't trust that we were going to feed her. There is no way. And your kids don't trust you either. It's not just me. (laughs) Thankfully, most of them are in the other room. They'd probably have a riot coming up here. We are not born to trust. We are born suspicious. And here is, uh, you know... Let me just give you some, you know, uh, reasons why I believe that. Uh, because that we are born suspicious, when a gap is felt, we tend to make the worst assumptions and give the least amount of grace. So Patrick Lencioni says this. He calls it the fundamental attribution error. I don't even know what that means. But here's what he said. Our tendency is to point to a personality issue with others and an environmental factor with us. So... Given the example of me at work, which this is my work, um, but we have staff meetings, we have uh, regular stuff that goes on during the business day and uh, during the week and, and all that, and so we have different meetings. And, and so uh, when I'm late for a meeting, the reason why I'm late for a meeting is because traffic in Coralville was just out of control. Or the reason why I was late for the meeting was because the restaurant I went to for lunch, well, of course, they took too long to to serve me the food. It's their fault. It's completely out of my control. It was an environmental thing. Okay? So I'm early for the meeting. Wayne comes in late. He's right here, so I get to pick on him. It's, Wayne, you don't care about me and my time. You are completely, which by the way, if you know Wayne, he's not late for meetings. So this is even better because Wayne, you don't care about my time. You're selfish because you came in and it's your personality that's causing you to be late, not any other thing. So that's what Patrick uh, Lencioni says is the environmental versus a personal, a personality issue. So why do most of us believe the worst? Why is that? While I was preparing for this message, I was reminded um, that, uh, that there is a group of people that uh, <laughs> are wired a little bit different than us. It's not a bad thing. It's, 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 it's a good thing. How many have heard of the Enneagram? By show of hands. Yep. Okay. So a lot of you have heard of the Enneagram. So there's a, there's a system, a number system, one through nine, and you're categorized by how you're wired. Well, it just so happens that the group that is wired to be a number six or a loyalist, it's quite interesting because it's supposedly that is the largest group of humans in the world. This group makes up more of the human population than any other group, the sixes, the loyalist. Here's what's interesting. Many of them make choices based on fear and anxiety and are driven by suspicion. And that's how they make up their minds or make uh, make decisions or make up their choices. So, although the Enneagram is great and I think that people, you know, uh, I think it's helpful in some ways, there's a bigger reason, a deeper reason, a more powerful reason, and that is suspicion is all a part of the very first sin. Let me prove it. Let's look at Genesis. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals and any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, 
Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God. So, from the very beginning, Satan planted this seed of suspicion in the heart of Eve and said, <laughs> you, won't, you won't die. God's afraid that you'll get, you know, be enlightened and know that you can become like him. Well, of course, it was a lie. All right? We have all been born with this idea of suspicion and skepticism. For instance, for those who really believe in wearing the mask, this is the suspicion you put in there for those who aren't wearing the mask is you don't care about me. You don't care about the health of this, this world. For those who may not think that this is really important, you know what they're doing? They're sowing a seed of, of suspicion and saying, all you're doing is being fear-based and not faith-based. Fear is controlling your life. But that's not what God wants. God wants unity. And he wants to see this world with one mind, oneness. All right, let's talk about this oneness. Let's do this. And this is participation time. Now, because we're all doing it, no one should feel weird. It's, you know, everyone's doing it, right? Everybody's doing it. So that's what I want you to do. I want you to do something for me. Are you in? Do you, do you trust me? Okay. All right. Here we go. On the count of three, whatever note, whatever note is in your head, I want you to sing it. Okay? One, two, three, go. Keep it. Keep it going. You online? Okay. That's horrible. That was just horrible. <laughs> Do you know what that's called? That's called a cacophony. It's a mixture of sounds. There's, there's no one it's not, we had different keys, we had different notes, it was minors and majors, some were probably in a different scale. I don't know what you were singing, brother, I have no clue. <laughs> but here's what oneness looks like, here's what unison looks like. Listen to this. Ooh. Now. Ooh. There's one note. There's a oneness in our sound. Throughout the New Testament, we see the idea of being one worked out. So we're going to look at about five scriptures here, and I'm going to quickly kind of run through them, but I just want to give you an idea of what this looks like uh, when we are of one mind. So in Acts, it says, all the believers were united in heart and mind. All of you can join together, and this is in Romans, with one voice giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. First Corinthians, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there will be no divisions among you, but that you would be perfectly united in mind and thought. 
2 Corinthians, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and of one mind. So, as you can see, most of these scriptures point to one thing, one mind. Because it's in the mind that we will fill the gap. It's what we're thinking So we've got to get our mind right. And this is what scripture says about getting our mind right. In Romans, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Is this a one-time thing? No, it's a continual renewing of the mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So how do we identify suspicion in our lives? Since we are born this way, this is kind of how it's our default, it's our starting point. How do we identify it when it's happening, when we're doing it? Because we do it. We all do it. See, the voice of suspicion says this. It's simple. You know what? You're looking at somebody's work. You're looking at somebody's job and how they performed. I could do it better than that. If they could just do this. It's simple. Let me take over. Let me show you how efficient I can be. It's easy. I can show you how. How many, how many have said, looked at that? You're, you're not even in, it's not even, especially in jobs or, you know, your careers and you kind of see somebody just like, you, you, you analyze it and you're like, why would they do it this way? You're looking at a company or looking at a church and you're like, why would they do that this way? I can make it better. It's simple. So that's one thing that they can, you know, do. Uh, but when we're personally attacked, when that suspicion comes and, that, and the suspicion fills the gap, suspicion is then felt as rejection. When we experience rejection, we close down. And the other thing is, is we run. If you hurt me, if you were the one that caused this, this, uh, 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 division in, and, and put that suspicion in the gap, I'm going to cut you off. I'm done. But here's the thing. Don't we all want to be accepted? We all want to feel accepted. We're designed that way. And even if you're right, even if you're right and you could do that thing better, well, you break down the relationship because of the suspicion. It's seen as rejection And then that relationship is broken. So, although the voice of suspicion and making it simple, that's a hard one, suspicion goes even further and it says, suspicion is sin. We go to the point, says, if if we see that we're suspicious of somebody, we say, they have done something really bad or really wrong in order to do that, in order to make us feel that. It's a sin issue. That's where we go. And so, you know, I've been, I've been around a long time, and we have this tendency to, to judge. <laughs> we want to be judge and jury in people's lives. And because I, I've grown up in the church and all that, one of the things that I've heard over and over and over again, people look at the church and say, all they want is our money. And, and there are some cases where churches have made, made huge mistakes, and they take advantage of people, and we get that, and we know we've heard those stories But they go to a sin issue automatically. And maybe you've heard people have said, oh, that life church, no way. 
They're all about the money. They don't care about you. They don't care about this community. They just want your money. You see that, that, that suspicion, that little spark? When there is one little spark that is a little, a little whisper, a little seed planted of suspicion, it'll blow up the whole thing. Suspicion is detrimental to relationships. When we put the wrong thing in, it'll blow it apart. But do we have the answer to suspicion? Say that three times. Suspicion. It's hard to get that out of there. Do we have the answer to suspicion? We do, and we've been saying it all morning long. The answer to suspicion is this right here. Trust. Trust is the key ingredient. But here's the thing about trust. Trust is intangible. For those who like the graphs and like the spreadsheets and this is how to analyze everything, try to chart this out. Chart trust in your life. You can't do it. There is no way you can do it. Here's, what's, here's what you know about trust. When you have it, it's great. When you don't have it, it is the most difficult thing to get back. We've already said it. Trust is unnatural. <laughs> it's, uh, we're born suspicious, so it's unnatural for us. But here's what you have to do. It's not just like renewing your mind. It's not one and done. Trust is not one and done. Trust is over and over and over a choice that you have to make to trust, to choose, to trust your friends, your neighbors, your family. All right. Trust can only happen, though, when it's built on something. Trust is built on love. That's trust's foundation. Let me prove it to you. In 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to read the first half of 13, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm going to have you join with me because it's so powerful. But this is the chapter that is known as the love chapter. And if you've been to any wedding, most weddings will have a version of this said. Uh, or or read. And so uh, I'm going to read Paul's word as he is trying to explain what love is. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Here's where I need your help. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. What? Love always trusts. Well, here's how trust and love relate. Let's look at this. Love is always pliable. It bends. Love looks for the most generous explanation, and love chooses trust over suspicion. Listen to this. Your relationship is no stronger than your foundation of trust. Your relationship is no stronger than your foundation of trust. So you're probably here saying, I have somebody in mind that has betrayed me. I have somebody in mind right now that has hurt me. 
So you're saying that the more I trust is me thinking the more I'm going to get hurt. That's what that translates to for some of you. The more I trust, the more I'm going to get hurt. And can I be honest? That's true. If you choose trust, it is more than likely that you will be burned. You will get hurt. But here's the thing. Jesus has this picture, this dream that we've been talking about of a united church. And that involves trust and relationship with another. We have been born and created to be in relationship with one another. And if you want that kind of excitement, then I'm saying jump on board. There's going to be sacrifice on our part because love bends. Jesus was the greatest sacrifice of what this looks like. He trusts us over and over and over again. I mean, think about it. Do you guys remember the motley crew that he created for his disciples? They were a mess. Judas was the money guy, ends up stealing from the money jar, and then turning Jesus in. Didn't Jesus know it? Of course he knew it, but what did he do? He chose to trust. He chose to give him a second chance, third chances, fourth chances. Remember Peter? What a guy. God knew he was, I mean, he even told him, you're going to deny me. And yet he chose to trust him. He chose, he kept over and over, and he does the same thing for us. Jesus trusts us over and over and over again. He trusts us with his money. That money in your pocket, we're just stewards of it, and we're pretty bad stewards of it sometimes. You know that he trusts us with his children? Those aren't your kids He's allowed us to raise them and try to steer them in the right direction. And we do a pretty bad job at that sometimes too. But he trusts us with this church and this mission. He trusts us over and over again. So if he can do it, why can't we? Why can't we? So let me be clear. I want to be very clear. Listen to me carefully. I am not talking about the person who has hurt you, who is supposed to keep you safe, who is supposed to, um, uh, but through abuse or neglect has hurt you. That is not what we're talking about here. In those cases, you need to be far away from those people. What I'm talking about today is motivation, our hearts, our intentions. That's what we're talking about today, motivations and intentions. People who have been betrayed in the past over and over and over again, I hear you and I hear your heart. I I feel your hurt. I have these conversations very often. And I'm not saying that the people who have hurt you, I'm not saying you slide this stuff under the rug. I'm not saying you push to the side and forget about it. What I am saying is that you need to confront those people who have hurt you. You need to address the hurt. You need to say, this is how you made me feel. This is the gap that you've created or that I've seen that I feel in our life. And you confront that person. I mean, Jesus gives you a one step one, two, and three on how to confront people and talk to people. So Patrick says this, Patrick Lencioni says this about confrontation. When there is trust, confrontation becomes nothing more than a pursuit of truth. In the attempt to find the best possible answer, most of the time, it's a complete, I mean, most of the time, it is just a, uh, it's a miscommunication. There was no intention, really, of hurting you or whatever. It's just a miscommunication. 
Let's bridge that gap. And, but you have to talk. You have to open up. You have to address the, the hurt. And you have to address the, uh, and, and confront those who have hurt you. So as the team is coming up, we're going to enter in time of worship here in just a few moments. We're going to go back into it, into a song. And guys, I want you to connect the dots. I want the Holy Spirit to drop somebody who has hurt you and things. I know you probably have somebody in mind right now. There's a relationship that needs mended in your life. And I believe that once we start, uh, if we put the right thing in the gap, if we put trust in the gap and we put so much of it that when the pressure is put on that relationship, it oozes out. This trust needs to overflow out of your life. And I'm not saying it's easy to get there. I'm not, I know how it sounds. It's like, oh, that's easy for you to say. No, it's not. My life has been one of those started. Not only was there, you know, did we, well, I felt like we were born into this because of suspicion, but through divorce and things in my life, there's, I have every reason not to trust you, but I've chosen to put trust in the gap. And I want you to help me by making some commitments. All right. The first commitment I want you to make is when I see a gap, I will fill it with trust. First of all, I'm not going to assume the worst in you. I'm not going to assume that there is some kind of a dig that you're trying to do. You're trying to break apart the relationship. I'm going to put trust trust in there. Excuse me. And the second thing is if your behavior erodes my trust, then I will come directly to you. No more going to somebody else and talking about them and how this person hurt me and how this, the whole gossip little circle and all that. No, 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 no. If I feel that there is a disconnect, Nick, if there is something between you and me, I'm committing to come directly to you and talk to you. Those relationships need to be mended. We have to mend these relationships and it's going to take pressure. (laughs) We've got that already. That's already an ingredient we have and this Right here, trust. Put trust in the gap so that we can see the church unified. 